Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. And I want to welcome myself back to the podcast. It's been a little over three months since I've recorded an episode. And part of that is due to the fact that I was serving as the conference coordinator for our national fellowship this year. And that led to a lot of work uh, to get ready for our conference that happened in the middle of June. And that work predominantly uh, took place during March, April, and May. And so you know, something's got to go in the week, and the podcast, unfortunately, is what had to go. Now, today I'm going to be recording, I think, a special episode to help us think through some issues that have been going on culturally in the United States. And then I do want to go back to finishing the series on the creation ordinances. So I I will get back to that. I think that's important to finish that particular series. But I do want to, since it's been three months, touch base on some issues that have happened in our culture and what I think are maybe some biblical causes for that and some biblical solutions. So obviously you've read the title of the podcast, The Uvalde School Shooting, that happened at Robb Elementary School. It's, it's now been approximately a month since this tragedy occurred. And this tragedy did not occur in a vacuum. Obviously, we have a national, a nationalized media. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of like a, a socialist communist media, but our media is a national entity. And so when something happens in one part of the country, it's very quickly reported on everywhere else in the country. And so stories that are local stories can become national stories uh, depending on the severity or the extremity of the story. And this story is an extreme story. It's extremely sad. Uh, And it took place uh, within several weeks of another mass shooting that occurred in Buffalo, New York. And there was another mass shooting. I didn't go back and look it up, but there was another shooting that happened a few weeks prior to these two shootings, the one in Uvalde and the one in Buffalo. And, you know, the response from our political class has basically been to blame the tool rather than to look at the individual. And this is always the case. It's always somebody else's fault. We, we are such, or should I say, we have become a society that is driven by victimhood, and the more victim classes or the more victim check marks that you can check off on your list, the, the less personal responsibility you have to act in a certain way. And this unwillingness to accept personal responsibility and personal accountability leads to solutions that are actually non-solutions, okay? So I think a good example of this we are in the national media and in, in a certain particular political party, although I think members of both parties contribute to this, we are looking at banning the use of um, so-called assault rifles and high-capacity magazines 
and we're trying to change the age limit on which you can buy firearms. And we're basically looking at the tool and saying the tool is the problem. The tool is the problem. It's, it's the tool. Well, this is like saying that because McDonald's exists, I'm fat. You know, McDonald's is just there. But, but because McDonald's is there, that's why I'm fat, because I've overeaten McDonald's. And so then instead of saying, you know, I should practice self-control and maybe not eat at McDonald's or eat at McDonald's far less, what people say is, no, we're going to restrict McDonald's and make McDonald's change the style of food that they serve. McDonald's is no longer going to serve hamburgers and fries, but they're going to serve salads and fruits and vegetable parfaits or fruit parfaits or yogurt parfaits or whatever. I don't even know if they still serve those. But, but the point is, and the analogy is trying to communicate the fact that we always look for some other cause of bad behavior than personal responsibility. And I would say that that is the number one contributing factor to why mass shootings continue to happen. There is no accountability and no personal responsibility. Everybody is always a victim of something else. We don't have personal agency. We are beings who uh, are just, I I don't know. I, I don't even know how to describe this alternate reality where we are totally at the whims of the environment that we live in. We are totally the products of our environment. We have no personal agency, no personal choice. And this is in direct contradiction to what the scriptures say. All right, this is totally contrary to what the scriptures say. For example, in James chapter 1, the the Bible says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Notice the personal responsibility present in that verse. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, the word lust there is a Greek word, epithumias, that actually means desires. And so you can say, whatever the person desires, that becomes a temptation for him. And every individual has the responsibility to either give in to the temptation or to say no to the temptation. You give in to the temptation or you say no to the temptation. James goes on to write, when the desire is conceived and when you sit and think about it and you ponder it and you, you want that, you give in to that temptation. When you give into it, it does what? It gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, I think James is talking about spiritual death there, but in the case of some sins, those specific sins can bring forth physical death for those who commit them or for those who are the recipients of the sin. In the case of a mass shooting, the recipients of the sin of murder die. And according to God's word, the person who pulls the trigger and murders the innocent people should also die. But that may be a topic for another, another podcast. I would have to say this. The way that our national media coverage blames everything 
but the person's individual sin and lust contributes to the repeated pattern of mass shootings. It creates a kind of cult-like hero status for these men, and they're usually young men. Over 90, 95% of these mass shooters are young men. It creates a hero cult-like status for them by which they are going to, even if they die, gain some type of notoriety and status in society. Their memories will live on because the media keeps their memory living on. And if you're a hopeless young person, if you have despair, if you are a loner, if you don't see any point to life, if you think, man, all we are is a whole bunch of chemical reactions put here by the process of evolution, and I see no purpose in my life, I see no joy in my life, I have no future. If that is what you think about life, then perhaps it would be reasonable for you to say, you know what? Killing a whole bunch of people that are innocent and gaining a notoriety that will live on forever, that's my way to make it in life. And you know that the media is going to make excuse after excuse after excuse for these people because they look at things from a wrong worldview. And this leads me to another contributing factor that I think does not help the rise or the frequency of mass shootings. And I do want to point out here that while it seems like we have a lot of mass shootings in the United States, on a per capita level, we, we're actually about middle of the pack when you look at uh, statistics over all the countries in the world. Now, we, have, we happen to be an extraordinarily large country with 330 million people. And so you would expect in a country of that many people, there might be more incidences within the country. But on a per capita level, we're actually about middle of the pack. Now, if you want a deep dive on these numbers, I would recommend you go check out a, a different podcast. It's a non-religious podcast. It's actually uh, hosted by Stu Bergier, who is the producer of the Glenn Beck program, and he has a show called Stu Does America. And one of his episodes is entitled Stu Does Gun Control. And it's an hour and a half long episode that will do a deep dive into all the nerdy statistics that you want, Okay. It will suffice at this point to say that though the media makes it seem like mass shootings are a very frequent and ongoing event in the United States, the numbers actually show something different than that. That it is not super frequent, that it is more of an anomaly than a regular part of life. I think that it's amplified to such an extent, and it stays in the national news cycle for so long that we feel like this is happening all the time. But in reality, it's not. Now, how does, how does our cultural climate contribute to these mass shootings? A second way is that we, we have no definition of morality. We are like Israel in the day in which Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, God condemns the nation of Israel, and God, through the prophet Isaiah, says this to Israel, you say that which is evil is good, 
and you say that which is good is evil. Now, from a moral point of view, that perfectly describes our culture. Our culture has no concept of what is really good or evil because we have totally unhitched or we have become unmoored from any kind of absolute truth claims. In fact, it's almost sinful to talk about absolute truth claims. It's wicked. It's, it is a sin. The sin is actually talking about absolute truth claims instead of just saying, hey, you can have your own truth. You can have your own truth. And so because people can have their own truth, we call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. And that leads to the final contributing factor, an unanchored morality. We have defined morality or redefined morality, and, and that leads to an unanchored morality. It is, a, it is like what God says happened in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And my friends, isn't this the the sacrament, like the, isn't this the leading commandment? Let's say it this way. This is the first commandment of the progressive movement. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Your truth is for you. You do what makes you feel good. And so if you, you know, want to redefine morality, good for you. If you don't want to redefine morality, good for you. But, but, Whatever you decide for you is only for you, and you can't tell anybody else what to do. You see, that's where we're at. We are, we are totally in this place in the United States, in really all of Western culture, where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There is no standard, and the only standard, the best standard, the most revered standard, the most important commandment is your truth is for you, and you do what makes you feel good. That's the most important standard. Now, these are some contributing factors, I think, that led to or lead to mass shootings, where a young man will go and try to kill innocents indiscriminately in order to gain some type of notoriety, some type of reputation, some type of um, standing cult hero status in society. But when we look at the Uvalde school shooting, in particular this, this mass shooting, uh, we see something else at play. We see that from the police department, there was a corresponding failure to respond. Now, when we think of police, and I am pro-police, I want to say that right off the bat, I think law enforcement is a good gift. Uh, according to Romans chapter 13, God has established governments, and one of the things that governments are to establish are law enforcement officers who will keep the peace and ensure that good is done to all in society. But let's think about how these contributing factors of having no accountability and no personal responsibility, a redefined morality, and an unanchored morality, how might they have played into the police response in Uvalde? Well, 
one of the things that we love in America is life. We, we, we love what we have. We love our possessions. We love the lifestyle that we have. Uh, we love our families. America is probably as close to heaven as you could get in all of human history in terms of comforts, um, indulgences, all kinds of freedoms. I mean, it is, it is a fantastic and marvelous place to live. Yes, I know there's political problems. Yes, right now we're in an inflationary cycle. But despite the fact that we are in an inflationary cycle, is there a place that you would rather move to in the world? I can't think of one. I'd rather be in America, even though, you know, our, our, our food and energy costs are up and our dollars are worth less because of inflation. I can't think of a better place to be. And if you have um, a redefined morality, an unanchored morality, if perhaps you, you know, don't take personal responsibility for your actions, you might conclude that, you know what, I'm going to look out for myself because that's what's best for me. We lack courage in America. We lack self-sacrifice in America. We lack the willingness to be generous and lay down our most precious commodity, that is our life, for the benefit of others. You know, there's a reason why the generation of men who fought in World War II and the women who worked in the factories and who also contributed in uh, military exercises, there's a reason why they were called the greatest generation. And that reason has to do with their willingness to sacrifice of themselves, of what they knew they could have had in America for the greater benefit of others. We, we have that no more. I'm not saying it's totally absent, but it's not the general attitude of people. And why is that? Well, I think that people fear death. People fear death now more than they've ever feared death before. People are afraid of dying because they don't know what will happen after death. And despite the lies of evolution that, hey, you know, when you die, you're just going to go dissolve into the ground and then you'll be annihilated. Nothing's going to happen to you. There's nothing after death. Despite the lies of evolution that have happened or, or that have been foisted upon, I don't know, six, eight, ten generations of American students. I mean, when, when, when was evolution first conceived of? I mean, it was an idea that came about in the 1860s. Charles Darwin made its way through academia made its way into public school system in America in the 1930s, 1920s and 30s. And so you've got, you know, from the 1930s to today, almost 100 years, let's call that, let's call that five generations, okay? Five generations of students exposed to evolutionary ideas. And in the last three generations, there's been no Christian counterpart to that. You know, in the 1960s, when prayer was taken out of schools, when the ability to um, talk about God, the God of the Bible, was taught, taken out of schools, you've basically had a, a several generations, four generations grow up 
with nothing but evolutionary theory to fill their minds with. And despite evolution's teaching that nothing happens to you after you die, people still fear death. People don't want to lose what they have right now. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I believe it's because God has innately placed a fear of death in man. And the reason that God has placed this innate fear of death in man, the reason that God has done this is so that you might seek the creator who would provide a way to escape the penalty of death. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, when God cursed all of mankind with sin, when the curse of sin was placed upon all of mankind and all of creation, that became an intrinsic reality for everybody. Despite our intellectual denials, we understand that we're sinners. And again, as much as you try to redefine morality, as much as you try to unhitch your morality from some absolute truth, you cannot get away from the fact that somebody is a sinner. Now think about this. If you're, uh, let's say that you're in the progressive movement uh, or liberal Christianity, and, and you say that the most important truth is to do what feels good to you. Your truth is the most important truth. The biggest sin that you could commit in that moral system is saying that there is an absolute truth. Because saying there is an absolute truth is 100% opposed to your primary foundational presuppositions about life. Now, I don't know any of the police officers from Uvalde. I don't know them personally. I'm sure that they're upstanding men. Um, I'm sure that, you know, they're family men. They, you know, it's a small town in Texas. I mean, what do we think about when we think about small town Texas? We think of, you know, love for America, love for others. But the reality is that when your life is placed on the line, your truest and deepest thoughts will be revealed. Your selfishness will be revealed. And unfortunately, there's a great deal of cowardice that was revealed as more and more information has come out about the police response in the Uvalde school shooting. It appears that innocent life was not protected, but the life of the the life of the shooter was protected. And I don't think it was intentional. I think it was it was unintentional, but it had the consequence because the police did not act with authority and swiftness and courage. It had the effect of allowing innocence to die and the wicked man to live. Now, to be fair, is it possible that some of the police officers are indeed believers and have a godly, a biblical worldview on life? It's certainly possible. I don't know. And I can't know because I'm not going to be able to interview them. But it seems to me that when you have a society that is unhitched and unmoored from a Judeo-Christian worldview, that values the lives of innocent people, 
and instead prioritizes the desires of self and the lusts of one's own flesh, it seems to me that even though you may may be well-meaning, even though you may be moral, that type of society does not produce the courage to stand up against wickedness and evil. And my friends, I think that the main issue here is without a biblical worldview, without a perspective on life that is rooted in the truths of the Bible, that God is the creator, that all men are accountable to God, that all men are made in the image of God, and that wicked men who harm innocent people should be destroyed. That's God's words, not mine, that wicked people who harm innocent people should be destroyed. Without that particular worldview, where do we have the courage to protect innocent life? Where is the motive or the incentive to protect innocent life? We don't have the ability to stop people from sinning. We can't do that. But what we do have, we do have the ability to teach people a worldview that would show them that they are accountable for their sins and they are accountable to a God who will judge them for all of eternity, who will cast them into the place called the lake of fire. We have that ability. And my friends, if we were willing to communicate this truth, that, that there is a difference in how people live based upon their worldview, if we were willing to communicate that truth and that became a more integral part of our cultural conversation, I think it would help to prevent mass shootings. Now, obviously, as a pastor, I'm, I'm saddened by mass shootings, and I don't think that the sole end or purpose of life or of our actions should be to just stop mass shootings. But I do think that if we preach the gospel, if we communicate the truth about Jesus, that people are lost and they need hope that can only be found in Christ, if we communicate that truth, if that becomes a widely adopted perspective in America, I don't see these mass shootings continuing because people will be held accountable for their actions. People will not blame inanimate objects like the gun or McDonald's for murdering people or weight gain. People will not be pointing fingers at the various political parties and say, your position is what got us here. No, they will be pointing fingers at the individual who sinned and saying, you sinned, you have taken life, your life should be taken from you. In Genesis chapter 9, when God commands the death penalty for those who would destroy human life, he did it for two reasons. Number one, it was to demonstrate that life, that human life in particular, reflects the image of God, and when you harm the individual, you are harming God in a, in a unique sense. 
not that you can destroy God, but you are harming God. And secondly, there is a certain deterrence that occurs when somebody is publicly executed for slaying innocent life. There is a there's no longer a cult hero status attached to that individual. It is, wow, look what he did, and look what happened to him. That's not good. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I think as a society, we would benefit from going back to capital punishment, and not just capital punishment in the basement of a prison, but a capital punishment that is done publicly. Like, it used to be done in the United States where there was a a gallows and people were hanged publicly for their crimes against their fellow man. That type of punishment would be an actual deterrent. Now, I can't see us actually doing that for all the reasons that I've listed. We, without the gospel, we're not going to have a, a belief in an absolute truth. We're going to continue to have an unanchored morality. We're going to continue to have a redefined morality, and we're going to continue to have no accountability and personal responsibility. But my friends, I think we as Christians need to think through the Uvalde school shooting and other mass shootings from a biblical perspective and say, what are the factors that lead to this and what might actually get us out of it? My friends, the gospel is the salve that will heal a broken generation. And it's not just living the gospel in your life. It's actually explaining who God is, the creator, and our responsibility to the creator. And the fact that because we've sinned, we have offended the creator. And because we've offended the creator, he is going to judge us. And we deserve that judgment. We deserve the punishment. It's a natural consequence of sin. But because the Creator is loving, because He cares, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to live as a perfect man, sinless, and He was the perfect sacrifice that could, and the only sacrifice that could pay the price for your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And my friends, that message of the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised by the power of God on the third day, breaking the power of sin and death, that message is what will actually transform America. That message is a message that needs to be preached after a tragedy like the Uvalde school shooting. You know why? Because there are families who are grief-stricken and grief-torn. They're hurting. They may have no despair. They may have no hope. But you know what? The gospel is a hope to them. And you know what? The gospel is important for our police departments as well. Because if they have the gospel, they can be courageous knowing that if they die, they will be with the Lord that their life will have counted for something, that they're there to do more than just um, protect and serve. Although those are noble ends, 
having a motto like protect and serve, having a code of conduct, a code of ethics, um, that's a man-made code, isn't enough to get you to do the most difficult and most challenging things that you might be asked to do, like give up your life for somebody else. My friends, let us pray earnestly that the Lord God would raise up workers who would go out into the harvest of America. America is a nation that is ripe for harvest. We are in despair. We are over-medicated, over-drugged, over-fed, over-indulgent. We are looking for anything that will provide hope and satisfaction and happiness in life. And the gospel is the only answer to that. Well, thanks for your time. I hope that as the weeks go on, I can be more regular in these podcasts, and we'll get back to finishing the Creation Ordinances podcast series in just a, just a little while. God bless you.